0: Hi, this is Ken Robinson. Get ready for a great conversation. But remember, every Tuesday, there's a new edition of Audio Antiques from the K Rob Collection, featuring highlights from the golden age of American radio on many of these same podcast platforms.
1: Welcome to the Ken Robinson Podcast. Get ready for conversation and information from the people who are making a difference. Hosted by Veteran Hall of Fame radio and television journalist, Ken Robinson.
0: Hello, everyone. Thanks for calling up my podcast, and welcome to all our listeners in the United States and around the world. On this show, we're going to examine money. Yep, cold, hard cash. We'll learn about the many difficulties women have in dealing with money, We'll find out if minorities and millennials are being ripped off by high bank fees, plus how to have fun on a tight budget. But first, Carol Keith is author of the book, How to Get What You Want in Life with the Money You Already Have. She believes we've received a lot of bad advice about how to spend and save. Now, Carol, you believe one of the best ways to get a handle on your bills is by paying the minimum each month?
1: Because what have we always been told, Ken? The
0: experts always say pay as much as you can.
1: Exactly. And I tried that. Uh, For 10 years, the visa bill would come in. Let's say it's $800. I would say, I hate this bill. I hate this (laughs) bill. I want to get rid of this bill. And so, I would write a check for $100. Well, now there's four of us living on one teacher's income at that point. And, uh, I just sent $100 out that bought nothing for the month for us to live on. No toothpaste, no socks for the kids, no groceries. And so what would happen by the middle of the month? We would be out of money, and I would have to to use use the card. Use the card again. Did I put money in savings? Heck no. And besides, (laughs) savings is such a boring thing. So we don't put money in savings. We put money towards an emergency account towards a car account, whatever it is. What absolutely works 100% of the time, once our mind will give in to this radical idea, and that is to pay the minimum. So then my $800 visa bill would come in, and instead of trying to get rid of it, which never worked because after 10 years of trying to get rid of it, it was up to $5,000 instead of $800. That didn't work. Mm -hmm. I would pay the minimum. So I would write a check for $25. The company was happy. I paid the minimum that they asked for, and suddenly I had 75 more dollars in my pocket.
0: But what about the uh, the minimum? Uh, paying the minimum, the, the balance doesn't change that much, and you're being eaten up by uh, interest rates.
1: That's what it seems like. First of all, if anyone does still have a 13 15 or 18% interest rate, switch immediately. Every day in my mailbox, I get... An envelope from some company that says, you know, our visa is Mm
2: 6.9%.
1: Switch over instantly. And what we forget, again, is if I'm just paying the minimum, number one, I'm not going to want to use the card. My energy is now into saving money for myself, so I won't ever have to use the card again. Mm -hmm. Once we get plugged into life... We don't want to live that way. It's a very depressing way. It's like always relying on someone else. We want to rely on ourselves.
0: Are there any other uh, radical ideas that uh, go against conventional thought as far as saving?
1: Well, one of the radical ones is to have so many different accounts. And people probably have heard me say that, but they're thinking, oh, she doesn't really mean that. I really do. And banks are in business to make money. Mm -hmm. So they are going to want for me to have three or four or five or six accounts there. Credit unions are in business to help their members. So everybody wants our money. And it's just like in the kitchen how almost all of us have our forks, knives, and spoons divided. (laughs) And it's not complicated, is it? But our mind says, "Oh, if I had six accounts, oh, I'd be so confused." It's not confusing. You reach for the spoon, you get a spoon.
0: Then your book, you talk about having uh, separate uh, savings goals for husbands and wives.
2: Yeah, that's something we usually
0: don't think of. We think of, well, when your husband and wife, you work together toward one goal.
1: Right, and that's okay too. To have, let's say, you have a real special place. A, a couple has a wonderful vacation spa- place, maybe that was their honeymoon. That's great, but it's extremely important that if I want a red truck (laughs) and my spouse wants um, you know to take Spanish lessons or whatever Mm -hmm. that we each honor our goals rather than put ten dollars towards my goal or ten dollars towards his or her goal the important thing would be that we each if we could only afford that much we each get five dollars otherwise we all know the horrible feeling called resentment Mm -hmm. and we never get anywhere The, the we're making money fun and exciting So within the relationship, it must be fun and exciting and empowering also.
0: Well, thank you very much for the advice. Carol Keefe, author of the book, How to Get What You Want in Life with the Money You Already Have. Up next are women bungling their financial futures. Why not join thousands of stock market traders who make informed decisions thanks to the premium features of Finviz Elite. They receive Robust, real-time stock quotes, pre-market and aftermarket data, advanced visualizations, back-testing, along with much more. Finviz Elite has one of the best stock screeners in the business, plus profitability research on 100 technical indicators. Finviz Elite is also packed with 24 years of historical statistics and numerous custom filters to help you sort it all out. Receive email notifications about important events, portfolio changes, and stock ratings, all within an ad-free interface at a price everyone can afford. Get full details about FinViz Elite at krobcollection.com. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Ken Robinson. We're exploring money management. My next guest is psychotherapist Colette Dowling, author of Maxing Out, Why Women Sabotage Their Financial Security. Colette, why do you feel that women are often their own worst enemies when it
3: comes to handling money? There's still this little part of us, this little self-destructive part of us that wants to feel that Ultimately, somebody else will take care of us. Mm. You know, it's, I call it the romance myth in the book because, uh, for want of anything else to call it, it's, it's this idea that you know, making money and investing it and being powerful with it is really masculine.
0: That's even though in many households it's the woman who keeps track of the finances, who keeps track of yeah. <laughs> a lot of times. Yes, keeps yes, track of the bills and yes.
3: <laughs> Two thirds of the working women in marriages make. As much or more than their husbands do and yet women end up poor and and, you know two to one Mm -hmm. so then you have to say to yourself well how come that's happening how come if they're you know doing so well they're ending up poor well they're still not getting pension funds a lot you know most women do not have are not in a pension plan
0: Uh, and why is that is that because of a uh, work record are uh, very often women have to leave work to to raise families
3: Ex- exactly. Uh, social security they get less for the same reason because mm-hmm. social security is based upon how many quarters in, in your lifetime you've put into the system. Mm-hmm. And so I think we just have to get more savvy about this and really start ma- you know making more demands and also making more demands on ourselves.
0: I'm Ken Robinson. We're talking to Colette Dowling. Who's author of the book "Maxing Out: Why Women Sabotage Their Financial Security"? Uh, let's let's talk about those issues. Uh, now we 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 talk about uh, marriage and men and women when they tie the knot. We we've been told that they should tie their finances. They should pool all their resources. You're saying keep them separate.
3: I think that it's particularly important for women to start doing that because it, because. The idea that oh, now that I'm married, somehow I can kind of relax on this whole issue of supporting myself. Um, and bit by bit, it becomes the man's responsibility and the man's job. And then, if the marriage breaks up, the, the man tends to be the one walking away with more money. And I mean, this is statistically true, and we've known this for a long time.
0: Now, in a relationship, man and wife, a woman says, I'm going to keep my assets separate. And the man's going to say, well, boy, I, you know, you, you really don't care about me or you don't trust me. What, what's going on here? How does a woman overcome
3: that? Well, I think you spoke right to the heart of the problem there. I think men do, you see, there's two sides of this. The man is also conditioned to feel that the woman should trust him that he is somehow in the catbird seat and he's the one who's providing even though she may be bringing in as much money as he mm-hmm. and it seems like a real blow to him and uh, to his pride and to his even his self-esteem she has to talk that through with him they might even have to do some couples therapy you know because this is my point we're going against deeply ingrained ideas and attitudes about what's appropriate for men and what's appropriate for women and about what love means and what love doesn't mean
0: are women sabotaging for their financial security in ways that, are, that, that men don't I mean we kind of assume that men know everything there is to know about finances and they're just having a wonderful time investing and saving in the whole bit when actually there are probably just as many men who are ruining their financial lives as women
3: well, I don't know if that's true because, again, I think that men, uh, if men are ruining their financial lives, they feel bad about it or they're aware of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they see it as a problem. They see it as not good or something they have to deal with um, because their masculinity is tied up with it. But women still don't, f- you know, the, the the signals don't pop up, the red flags don't pop up as quickly for women You know, women spend, often they'll go out and spend like teenagers. Mm. When I left a relationship, I was 50 years old. I'd been with my partner for 15 years, and he was quite good with money. And we kept our assets separate, and I was very good with my money. And as soon as we split up, I started spending like a kid. It was like, oh, there's nobody looking over my shoulder. I can do what I want to do. Spend, spend, spend.
0: Now, you were telling me off the air that you had lost a large sum of money.
3: Well, that was the, you know, that's the sort of big irony. I lived most of my uh, young adult life as a single mother raising my kids myself and as a freelance writer without much money. And then suddenly I had a big international bestseller, The Cinderella Complex, and suddenly I made money, never expecting in my life to do that. So it was doubly hard for me to manage that wisely, on top of all of the things that we've just been talking about, um, I was not in any way equipped to know what to do with money or how to get the proper um, financial guidance. And I put the money in in a retirement account and let it sit there. I didn't invest it. I didn't go near it. I was like, oh, it just <laughs> terrified me. And I think part of the reason I spent that money down, and it was about $250,000, thousand dollar retirement account that got blown between 1989 and 1994. Mm-hmm. Those were the years in which I was living on my own, by, by which I mean by myself. Note the children are grown now. There's nobody to spend on or be responsible to but myself. Mm-hmm. And those were the five years in which I blew that money.
0: We've been talking to Colette Dowling, who's author of the book, Maxing Out, Why Women Sabotage Their Financial Security. Also, Cinderella Complex, Women's Hidden Fear of Independence, New Help for Depression, Anxiety, and Addiction, as well as several other books. Colette graduated with a master's degree from the Smith College School of Social Work. She's a psychotherapist in private practice in Manhattan, New York. Up next are banks taking you to the cleaners. How to avoid being hit by high fees, especially if you're a minority.
3: If you're tired of outrageously expensive cell phone bills, come on over to Mint Mobile. Talk, text, and data plans just start at $15 a month. There are no contracts. Sign up, and Mint will send you a SIM card. Just insert it into your phone. You can even keep your old number.
0: So don't make your cell phone provider rich. Keep that money in your wallet. Go to krobcollection.com for details on Mint Mobile.
1: He's reported for CNN, the Associated Press, ABC News, Fox News, and is in the Press Club Hall of Fame. This is the Ken Robinson podcast with radio and television host Ken Robinson.
0: Minorities, millennials, and residents of the northeastern United States report paying more in banking fees than anyone else. That's according to a study by Bankrate.com. The company provides consumers with personal finance advice and tools. Joining us on the line from Washington, D.C., is Mark Hamrick, Senior Economic Analyst at Bankrate.com. Mark, tell us about your study.
4: Sure. Well, a bank rate, uh, we're always uh, surveying, uh, whether it's the American public or uh, financial uh, service professionals or economists about the state of the economy, the state of affairs with respect to what people are experiencing in the real economy. And In this case, we wanted to know uh, about the experiences that people are having with their banks and credit unions, and uh, really uh, central to all that is how much they're paying for banking services and so what we found first of all is that uh... the average u.s. checking account hold uh... i should say the u.s. checking account holder is paying an average of about eight dollars a month in fees or so they report and that includes things like uh, atm fees overdraft penalties and routine service charges but as we drilled down on uh... the survey we found that there were some disparities uh, around that average. So, for example, uh, younger consumers, millennials uh, being at the top of the list, and just as a reminder millennials are those age twenty four to thirty nine on average they reported paying nearly thirteen dollars a month in banking fees while members of the so-called silent generation that's those who are age 75 plus they figured this out and they're paying on average only about two dollars a month and then in terms of in terms of uh, uh, racial disparities uh, whites report paying about five dollars a month for their banking services while blacks are paying $12 a month and uh, Hispanics are paying $16 a month. So uh, we tend to think that uh, we want to try to remind people that they should really try to invest some time in reducing the cost of banking where they can, because the landscape has really changed with uh, the Internet as well as mobile devices, where back in the day, you know, it made perfect sense that essentially the uh, limited choice that one would have on doing business with a bank or a credit union was really related to essentially what was nearby or in a neighborhood. And while there may be some reasons that we would be uh, focusing on uh, that kind of relationship even today with the ubiquity of Internet-related services and those available on mobile devices or smartphones. Uh, I think that many Americans would do well to spend some time to invest in themselves and try to reduce the amount of costs that they're uh, paying to maintain the relationship with a bank or credit union.
0: Okay, well, just to back up a little bit, uh, uh, you you discovered that uh, the average American account holder is paying eight dollars a month for banking. To me, that would be too much. Uh, I don't want to pay any money a month. I don't want to pay any fees a month. After all, it's my money. Do you find that $8 a bit high to, be, to begin with?
4: Well, if you if one need not pay anything, then yes, $8 a month, uh, obviously over the course of a year, gets to be close to 100 And uh, when we think more broadly about how uh the number one financial regret that Americans report to us is the failure to save for emergencies and the failure to save for retirement No, $100 a year isn't going to uh, save your skin with respect to uh, your retirement savings, but everything does tend to add up. And and so, yes, the average of $8 may be minimal on a monthly basis, but, you know, at some level, uh, you know, that could be a lunch for people. Uh, And for those that are paying substantially more than that, well, then that obviously then adds up more substantially as well. So, yes, it does get to the point that, uh, you know, free banking uh, can be found, Uh, one need not pay for overdraft charges, even if uh, one has limited means, uh, particularly if if one can also maintain a savings account that can be linked to a checking account. And so maybe when the balance is going on the lower side, then you link your associated savings account to sort of fill that void uh, when balances get low. And that, again, underscores the need to have savings.
0: Absolutely. Now, why are Hispanics paying $16 a month and African-Americans paying? an average of $12 a month for the sure. same banking don't, fees.
4: Yeah, I don't I don't know that there's necessarily one answer that that uh gets to what's going on there, but we know that for example, those who have uh less in the way of financial resources, those who have lower incomes, uh, fewer assets, etc, uh tend to number one uh b- more often be members of the so-called unbanked or underbanked community and what is that that's really where uh people are operating around the fringes of traditional banking where they might be uh working with payday loans uh things along those lines or uh they are allowing those fees to hit them such as the overdraft fees that on average are about $33 per hit so that can really drive those costs up in a hurry And so uh, uh, whether they're underserved or uh, not served at all by the banking system, uh, those who are essentially poor uh, are having their struggles exacerbated by the cost that they're paying for their banking services. Now, more broadly, I'd also say that some of this is an investment of time. Uh, In other cases, it's a lack of financial know-how or, more broadly, the term is financial literacy. And uh, when we (laughs) took a look at some of the uh, verbiage that people were using in the survey that the the survey takers uh, had explanations that people were giving them, for example, why haven't you shopped around for banking services? Because on average, Uh, People have been with the same entity for 14 years. A lot of them would say things like, I'm too lazy. Uh, Literally, that's what they would say. I mean, we got the word lazy a number of different times, and that's quite an admission. And my point there is, well, are you too lazy to save money? Because that's kind of on the sad side, uh, and uh I, you know what is it that one is tending to in its place so uh i think that if we can just sort of raise the awareness to this issue which is ultimately the purpose of the survey Uh, and try to remind people that, you know, hey, you're worth investing in. Your life is worth investing in. And that means trying to forego uh, fees and costs that we don't need to be paying and more broadly apply the mantra that we should be living beneath our means, not at the cutting edge of our means, meaning, you know, don't sort of try to allow that paycheck to be withered away by the end of the month. Uh, I have a saying that says, uh, goes along the lines of save first, Spend later rather than the, the fact that many Americans do it the other way around. They sort of uh, uh, spend, and then if there's, uh, you know, Lord help us, anything left over at the end of the pay period, uh, you know, maybe something gets saved out of that.
0: Well, I, I guess it's kind of like uh, uh, the, the fast food situation. In, in a lot of uh, lower social economic uh, neighborhoods, you know, there's fast food everywhere, but not much fresh food, not many supermarkets. And I guess in a lot of these neighborhoods, there are these, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, payday loan places, uh, these title loan places, and maybe not a lot of uh, the standard uh, legitimate banks that we usually see in in the broader neighborhoods. Maybe is it because they're used to uh, seeing these players, in the neighborhood all the time, and, and 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 maybe haven't thought about venturing outside of the neighborhood, or maybe they can't, uh, and maybe that's why they're stuck with uh, uh, higher fees.
4: Yeah, I would argue that most people are not frankly, stuck with higher fees because of the fact that there are so many uh, Internet banks available uh, these days uh, that are essentially online only. And so, you know, even if you see, for example, uh, homeless individuals uh, out and about, uh, typically many of those have a smartphone, meaning that 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 tends to be the last tether that one gives up, you know, being a marginalized person uh... or having you know suffered from mental illness or having lost one's home whatever it might be many of these individuals still have some connectivity that somehow they're paying for uh... and so you know those individuals probably you know a bank isn't their chief concern that's you know just trying to stay warm and and safe at night but for those that are operating above that level and uh, that's really who we're talking about here some of the eighty five percent of americans who say they do have a checking account uh, american adults um, i think it just needs some more investigation and you know that this is one reason why Bankrate.com dot com exists uh... because we're just trying to help people achieve their financial goals but there has to be a recognition that you know this is something that they want to tackle that they want to do better uh, toward moving along that path and so uh, we think that this is informative and we we think there is sort of an action item here which says, you know, look for uh, the best banks that are out there, whether they're, you know, the large bank that our analysis found. Uh, Capital One was the best large bank that, uh, you know, just sort of diving through the data uh, from a number of different perspectives. Uh, There are others that they can see on the site that are online, regional, et cetera. And credit unions are, you know, something that not everybody thinks about. Uh, They don't, uh, the smaller ones don't advertise as much, but, you know, there's a whole distinction between sort of for-profit banking and credit unions because banks are obviously, and, you know, obviously I do business with banks, uh, have done business with credit unions over the years as well, and both of them are great for different uh, situations. But credit unions, you know, aren't operating at a profit per se. They're operating to benefit what they might call their shareholders, but it's not like stock shareholders. They're the people who are using uh the service of the credit union so it's a different kind of a concept and so they don't have a profit incentive per se it's really about serving people um, and you know but, uh if you're gonna, if if you want to have a, a credit card you're probably going to need to have that through a bank and so that's a different kind of a model uh, but, you know, if you're looking for an auto loan, uh, you, you might get that through a bank or a credit union or a savings and loan, what we used to call those. Um, and so there are all kinds of great options out there. And so I don't know if this is necessarily a golden age in financial services, but there certainly is tremendous innovation, and I would even say competition out there. And that would even hold true when you think about the online iterations of that or the online versions of that. Think about, you know, the universe of online uh, Focused companies, whether they might exist in both a brick and mortar location where they have a traditional branch, but they also have a strong online component. Uh, for me, that's kind of the optimal uh, combination. And, and obviously, everybody's situation is going to be different. Where I might want to go in and actually speak to somebody, uh, you know, and 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 talk about a, a, a situation that I'm working through. Maybe if we want to refinance a mortgage or uh, work on retirement savings, something like that. That's where meeting face to face with people is really useful. But for other people, it might be just sort of the cut and dry, I want to have a free checking account or, or, or incur no fees, as you talked about earlier. And that's doable, too.
0: Now, I can imagine, you know, there are probably a lot of older people that aren't used to internet banks. They're saying, what a bank on the internet? I need a bank. I, I need to see that brick and mortar, something I can touch. I, you know, I can't have my money floating around <laughs> on the internet. But in your data, uh, it shows that the typical millennial uh, with a checking account pays $13 a month in fees compared to the average of $8 a month. So I, I would think that millennials would, should probably be more savvy, but that, that may not necessarily be the case.
4: I don't know that they're not savvy. I think in this case it might be that they're just sort of not quite where they want to be with their financial capability. And, you know, many are hamstrung by student loan debt, uh, $1.6 trillion worth of that floating around out there in the U.S., and not all those are millennials either. Uh, But, you know, if you think about somebody who might uh, be at the beginning of their career path, uh, they uh, may have more trouble making ends meet, and that's where some of those higher fees come into play. It may also be that you know they're they're using the same bank that Mom and Dad used, and that might not be uh, the right thing for them. Maybe, in fact, their parents opened the account for them back in the day and they've stuck around. So I think there are all kinds of different explanations. But to your point earlier, uh, one should always uh, make sure that their bank as as pretty much all of them are, is FDIC insured and the credit union. Uh, sector has its own uh, version of that uh, insurance to make sure that those accounts are covered if, if if something untoward happens to the enterprise financially, but other than that, uh, I think you know the reality is that um, even those. Uh, banks that have a significant brick and mortar presence meaning a lot of branches around obviously they are having online banking as well and uh and I would say you know by and large they are no less safe than are those that are the trish, traditional um, enterprises. So, um, and the reality is, you know, uh, that uh, you know most, uh, let's say, grandparents are operating uh, with uh, smartphones and/or computers these days as well. Uh, and some of those tools, particularly available in the smartphone or mobile device realm, are really terrific because if you download the bank's app or the credit union's app, if it has one uh enabling uh, the alerts on the phone and uh, and I basically enable all these alerts with respect to uh financial uh, transactions such as uh, using a credit card or a debit card i want to see on my phone a notification as soon as one of those charges hit whether it's my regular bill paying or you know having just gone to the grocery store to do my weekly shopping i want to see that show up on the phone immediately because if there's something on there that uh... is wrong if it's potentially fraudulent i want to know that immediately uh, the good news is that uh... many of these particularly mid and larger banks have gotten pretty good at flag- those things on their own uh, because we don't want to put our uh, bank accounts at risk from all the many fraudsters out there trying to part us from our money.
0: So I guess the bottom line is embrace technology. Don't be afraid of it. Use it to your advantage. And also shop around. Uh, your, your data shows that uh, the average checking account holder has stayed with the same bank or credit union for 14 years. huh? So <laughs> I guess you have to shop around and compare just like you would Car insurance or house insurance or anything else, huh?
4: Well, that's absolutely right. And you think about that 14-year time frame, and it was something like 26 for uh, the group that we call senior citizens these days, 26 years. Uh, think about how the landscape has changed just in the 14-year time frame. So, you know, smartphones weren't a great option uh, more than a decade ago or so with respect to doing things like online banking, but these days, uh, I mean, I just happen to be a, an, an Apple uh, person, so I've got my iPhone, and and uh, but Android, that platform's, you know, just as capable. Um, there are just so many different options that are available there these days that uh, if you have uh, an, a bank or credit union that doesn't have such a great Uh, application available. Uh, To me alone, uh, that is one reason why I might think twice about doing business with them simply because I want to be able to, let's say, have that mobile uh, check deposit. uh, If I get a uh, a check sent to me, uh, like I did the other day from a doctor's office that said I had overpaid my uh, deductible on something, uh, and it just came in the mail, and you know, I uh, signed it and uh, put it right in the old checking account. Uh, it's great to be able to have that option, and that's one of the reasons why uh, many people don't go to bank branches as often as they used to. And It was interesting, by the way, that the number one reason people said that they had chosen Uh, a bank uh, or credit union uh, to do business with was because of convenient uh, bank branch or uh, ATM locations. And um, I get that, uh, but that might not be the only reason out there for sure.
0: All right. And uh, uh, you you mentioned your listing of the best uh, financial institutions. You have uh, uh, Capital One listed as the best big bank. Uh, Alliant Credit Union is the best credit union, the best online bank. Radius Bank, I haven't heard of that one, and the best regional bank, Western State Bank. So, uh I was just wondering, uh Cap- Capital One is advertised very heavily on TV yeah. and radio. What makes them the number one best bank?
4: Well, uh overall, uh we had, you know, basically a very complicated uh formula to look at uh, all these players and uh basically the way we uh, did that was we Uh, took a look at one checking account and one savings account from each and every player. And then we assigned a number grade to each institution, and we looked at uh, things including the monthly service fees, the interest rates they pay, or in some cases might charge, but in, in in the payment instance, it's about the yield that they might have on their checking accounts, the ATM fees, as well as ratings of their mobile apps, and the minimum deposits and minimum balance requirements they have, if any. And then uh, we gave the most weight in our ratings to the uh, savings interest rates, as well as low-cost or free checking accounts. And, and so I was not familiar with all these folks either, but it turns out that uh, uh, Radius Bank uh, operates out of uh, Boston, the best online bank in our uh, findings, and... Uh, and Western uh, operates out of North Dakota, so uh despite maybe some of the other than the heavily advertised names are there are some that are operating maybe a little lower on the radar that are worth uh investigating and obviously uh this is part of uh why bankrate exists and and has for uh many decades uh before the internet what was really to help people find uh the best products and services for them out there and it, obviously we're free
0: all right. Finally, do you think that they should teach this in high school? I mean, uh, <laughs> banking is so crucial to uh, conducting yeah. our, our our daily lives, and uh, high school is supposed to get kids ready, you know, for the world, uh, you know. But it's—I don't believe it's ever ever really addressed in, in a high school, you know, in high school or even even really in college. A lot of times, like you say, uh, you know, people bank you know, where their parents banked or their grandparents banked, and they don't even uh, really uh, you know, see the need to shop around. And they don't even know what the advantages are out there that exist. So uh, you think this needs to work its way into our educational systems?
4: Uh, I appreciate the question, and I absolutely do believe that. And it probably doesn't only uh, extend to high school students. And we probably should start it earlier because, you know, uh, smartphones and uh, tablet devices and whatever the next round of technology will be, all that's finding its way into hands of younger people. And, you know, even if it involves something like, you know, junior uh... that's my uh, random name for a would-be child here has uh... the ability to buy apps on a smartphone uh... there could be implications from that uh... you know developing very soon where the parents may need to cut junior off uh... but you know the the earlier that uh... children really learn about um, uh, managing finances uh... well uh... is uh... really important And, you know, by the time that we're in high school and and to college, uh, that train is in the process of leaving the station. So, um, you know, using this term earlier, uh, financial literacy is a big challenge for the United States because uh, there are all kinds of surveys out there that find that we have been losing ground on that front relative to our peers across the world for many years now. Uh, And uh, it has huge implications not only with respect to us achieving our financial goals, uh, whatever they may be, but there are societal implications such as uh, ultimately uh, bad decisions that are made by consumers that uh, can create a financial crisis, as was the case with uh, the housing crunch that we had over a decade ago. There were uh, many complicated factors that fed into that, including uh, ultimately probably some fraud on the part of uh, large financial enterprises or uh, investors uh, and certainly those that were allowing mortgages to be uh, taken out that uh, had no business being uh, put out there Uh, but also people who got in over their heads on uh, mortgages that didn't know uh, about perhaps what would be appropriate and ultimately then you think about how all that then contributes to situations where because We're not having, I would say, productive conversations about these, in some cases at either the local, state, or national levels. Uh, Voters are not requiring their elected leaders to have, I would say, Um, a constructive approach towards solving uh, problems that uh, are related to finances. So these problems are beginning to sort of stack up. Dominoes are falling, so to speak. And so the best thing we can do is to try to own this knowledge ourselves and to uh, lead to some measure of financial success. And and it it begins by... truly investing some time and taking advantage of all the free information that's out there on bankrate.com and elsewhere across the internet and, dare I say, even possibly for free in a public library. Absolutely.
0: Well, very good. Very interesting conversation. Really appreciate uh, all the information and the advice.
4: Well, uh, it's always a pleasure and uh, really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you as well. It's uh, all very important, and uh, we appreciate it, Ken.
0: Mark Hamrick, Senior Economic Analyst at Bankrate.com, a company that provides consumers with personal finance advice and tools by aggregating information from over 4,800 institutions. Well, after the break, an interview with the king of frugal fun. Make Coinbase your home base for cryptocurrency trading. Coinbase supports a growing list of assets, including Bitcoin and Ethereum. You can count on Coinbase for safety. Crypto stored on their servers is covered by insurance. Coinbase will pay you to start trading and to watch their instructional videos so you can earn while you learn. Get all the details at krobcollection.com and you'll discover that Coinbase is easy to use Trust it and secure. Everyone wants to have a good time now and then often a good time can cost you big bucks but it doesn't have to be that way so says shell horowitz he's the king of frugal fun and author of the penny pinching hedonist how to live like royalty with a peasant's pocketbook shell can you really enjoy life on a tight budget
5: Oh, yes, there is. There are just thousands of ways to have a really good time and pay little or nothing. Some of them involve just using your creativity and thinking about the kinds of zany and cheap adventures you might have had when you were, say, 17 years old and couldn't afford to do anything else. And some of them are just out there for the taking. Uh, I find that, for example, you can almost always find great free concerts and plays if you just look hard enough.
0: I understand that, that you can actually get paid for going to a concert? Yeah, well, I do
5: concert reviewing, so I sometimes have gotten paid for going to a concert and writing an article about it afterwards. But reviewing is one way to get into a concert that would normally cost a lot of money. Another great way is to be an usher. I won't say most, but many concert venues and theater venues and even sports venues use volunteer staff Mm Hmm. to see the show for free in exchange they work an hour or so.
0: Well, what about after a show? You like to go out and eat out? You know, I mean, uh, but the high cost of eating out a lot of restaurants uh, costs almost, almost as much to eat as it does to see the show.
5: Well, I live in a restaurant area, and I could probably walk you around my town and find 30 restaurants where I could eat with my family of four. For twenty dollars or so, we might order two appetizers and one main dish and split them all four ways, and with the salad and bread and everything else that comes with it, it's enough.
0: What about airfares? We hear a lot about airfares. Get the cheapest fare here. Get the cheapest fare there. What's the best way to fly?
5: For those who can really leave very quickly and are not tied down to a schedule and commitments, it's hard to be being an air courier. This is where you deliver a small package for some company on the other side of the world, perhaps, and pay usually about a quarter of the typical discount fares, maybe $200 to fly round trip to Hong Kong, for example, and in return for delivering this package, you get your airfare subsidized. And while we're on the subject of travel, I'll pass along my very, very favorite frugal fun tip, and that is to join a homestay organization.
0: What is a homestay organization?
5: A homestay organization is a group that matches up people with space in their houses for guests, with people who are traveling and are looking for that kind of space. I've done this all over the world, the particular group that I'm in. I have traveled in Israel, in Mexico, in Paris, in Montreal, and one highlight was uh, my wife and daughter and I went to London on a, by the way, $198 round-trip fare, and we stayed for 12 nights and we went exploring the backcountry in Wales, and would you like to get my lodging cost for three people for 12 nights for that trip?
0: Wow, I'm, uh, 800 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going down. I'm a little too high. Okay, how about, uh, 250?
5: Keep going down.
0: Keep going down? Oh, my goodness. Uh, 100 bucks?
5: Getting there, 50. 50? $50. <laughs> and the reason was that 11 of those 12 nights, we stayed with members of our homestay organization
2: for free. Wow.
5: Now, the many, many types of organizations that do this, the one that we're in charges a fairly nominal fee of like $50, $55 a year to be a member, and obviously you make that back the first night you use it, and it's set up as actually a peace organization to foster intercultural communication as a way of breaking down barriers between people. And people take this seriously. When you visit someone in this organization, you can expect that they're going to want to find out about you, and you're going to want to find out about them, and it's really fascinating. Just, it's fun
0: we're talking to shell horowitz who's author of the book the penny pinching NIST." and uh, we're talking about how to have fun by keeping that budget uh, trimmed down nice and low when we go traveling a lot of times we use our credit cards i'm sure everybody gets tons of those credit card offers in the mail every week how do you know you're getting a good deal
5: Well, I don't judge credit cards on their interest rate because I will put forth the heresy that the way to use credit cards is to pay the balance back in full every single month and not have to pay any finance charges. And I do believe that most people don't understand how expensive it is to run finance charges on a credit card. When you really figure it out, it's actually much more because if you don't pay your bill in full, you pay finance charges on the part you did pay up until the time you paid it. Wow. So let's say you're, you've got a $500 credit card bill and you send them $200, you're actually going to be paying finance charges on the whole 500 until they receive your check, whereas if you pay the bill in full, this does not apply. No finance charges, period, zilch.
4: What about the
0: high cost of sports? Uh, you know, fans are complaining. Sports is very expensive. It's hard to take a family of four to a baseball game without spending a couple hundred bucks.
5: Well, a lot of the principles that apply to entertainment also apply to sports, and For example, we went, I guess it was last summer, we went out to Pittsfield to see a minor league Pittsfield Mets game. It was a hoot. It was, I think, $4 or $6 a ticket, and it's a nice small stadium, so you're right up there next to the ball players. And although the quality of baseball was not what you might necessarily see in the major leagues, I have certainly seen some major league games that were equally bad and cost quite a bit more. You Also, I think you work with your kids to learn some values about money and spending. I I have discovered that one thing that works very well with controlling kids' spending is if you think something is overpriced, you offer them what you think it should cost and say that they can pay for the rest out of their own money. And it's amazing how suddenly the consumer urge kind of disappears.
0: Yeah, I would imagine. <laughs>
5: yeah, <laughs> if they want a, a you know hundred dollar American Girl doll, and you think a Barbie can be had for a perfectly adequate ten dollars, you might say, "Well, I think I'll give you ten dollars toward the doll, and see if they really want it."
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a good idea. Give us your biggest steal. What is the biggest bargain you ever got that you're just really proud of?
5: I think it's the one I'm sitting on, which is a gorgeous hand-woven, 100% wool oriental rug with a $3,000 price tag that I got with no money out of pocket. I bartered for it.
0: You bartered for it?
5: Yeah, I wrote this guy um, a newsletter, a bunch of brochures and flyers over a two-year period, and I owned this rug free and clear, and I did it in my spare time, and (laughs) it was a pretty good deal. I'm going to have this thing the rest of my life. My kids will have it. It is, it's got like 19 colors in it, a very exotic pattern that I couldn't even begin to describe. I, I never thought in my life that I could own a real Persian rug.
0: Well, very good.
5: Well, Ken, thank you so much.
0: Thank you. We really appreciate it. We've been talking to Shell Horowitz, author of The Penny-Pinching Headness, How to Live Like Royalty with a Peasant's Pocketbook. Also, several more books, including Marketing Without Mega Books, Principled Profit, Marketing That Puts People First, and The New Realities of 21st Century Business. He's won six awards for five of his books and is a 2011 inductee into the National Environmental Hall of Fame. Shell has appeared in the New York Times, Forbes, Inc. Magazine, the Christian Science Monitor, Wall Street Journal, Entrepreneur, ABC News, and elsewhere. Well, I hope you found this podcast interesting and informative Our music is by H Beats, that's H Beats with a Z, and he makes every presentation sound so much better. Feel free to subscribe and tell your friends about our podcast. Thanks so much for listening.